0: Lord God, the flower fades and the grass withers, but your word remains true forever. Your word here from Hebrews 2, that Christ has indeed partook of the same things become flesh in order to destroy the works of the devil and in order to deliver slaves like us from fear of death. Those words are true just as much today as they were when they were first written, just as much as they were before the foundations of the world when you first planned to send your son Jesus to redeem your people. God, I pray that these words would be a comfort to our souls this morning, that they would give us great hope, that they would help us to live in light of Christ becoming flesh. Lord, would you help us as we examine your word this morning, we pray. Amen. Amen, Amen, friends. The people of Israel have been on my mind a lot lately, as I've been reading through the Old Testament, particularly the story in the middle of Numbers, when the people of Israel, after being led out of slavery in Egypt, walking through the Red Sea as it's parted, and watching it crash down on the armies of Pharaoh, behind them, completely destroying them, and then being led through this wilderness by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, and watching watching the Lord fight for his people, and then hearing his voice, giving his commandments on Mount Sinai as, as fire and smoke and lightning covered the mountain. After all of this, God's people are led up to the edge of the land of promise, where a land flowing with Milk and honey, a land where God's blessing will rest on his people and he will dwell with them. And what do they do? They turn away in fear. They cry out after they send spies into the land who say, this land is beautiful. And look at these cluster of grapes. It's so big we had to carry it between us on a pole. It's bountiful and it's got houses that we can live in. But it's got giants and fortified cities. And it's got... People that compared to them, we look like grasshoppers. And we will, if we go up there, we will surely die. After hearing that, God's people said, why God have you brought us out into the wilderness to kill us? Like how could they conclude that after all that they had seen? That's the the question that puzzles my mind as I think about that story. After everything that the people of Israel saw on the way to the promised land, how could they get to the very border and conclude that God just brought them out there to kill them? And conclude that the fears that they faced in the land were too great and they ought to turn away and even go back to Egypt? How could they do that? I think the answer is that the people... Of God at that time. Were enslaved to the fear of death. We're living in the kind of slavery to the fear of death that Hebrews talks about. And it's that slavery to the fear of death that I want us to meditate on today. You see, I think it's not just a problem for ancient Israel. But it's a problem for us as well. A sociologist named Peter Berger says this about faith and death. He says the power of religion depends in the last resort upon the credibility of the banner it puts in the hands of men as they stand before death or more accurately as they walk inevitably, inevitably toward it. In other words, he was reflecting on the fact that death is common to us all and that the value of what you believe depends on how it deals with the problem of death. The banner that's put in your hand as you stand before death is either going to help you or it's going to do nothing for you. And we ought to judge religious belief. We ought to judge faith on how it deals with this problem. It's an important question for us to wrestle with this morning. And I thought it fitting for us to end the year together on this question and on this text. Because for the last year and a half, two years particularly, we have lived under the shadow of death with COVID running rampant around our society. We've experienced recently, intimately, the problem of death as we've wrestled with those of us who knew Emily Komachevsky, wrestle with the fact that she just one day, a perfectly healthy 17 year old drops dead and we grieve and we wonder why. And we wonder how, how does, how, how does, what does the Bible have to say about that? What does Christ have to say about that? Or we deal with. A family friend like the Knutson's this last week, Dave, suddenly dying of COVID. And we wrestle with death. Or we deal with near brushes with death. Like Dan's brother uh, brother Jerome and, uh, and like my dad being close to dying from COVID. And recovering, but it still brings the question, what about death? We see the specter of death more clearly. And we see that death is a part of everyday life for us. If death is a part of everyday life for us, like we see it is, then fear of death is also a part of everyday life. We have to wrestle with what kind of banner are we given to stand before death. The good news that we see in this text and the good news that we're going to look at today is that in the face of death, the banner we're given is that Christ himself became flesh in order to disarm the devil who wields the power of death. And in order to deliver all of us who would be like Israel, slaves to the fear of death. We're going to look at those two things as we go through this text. But we're going to work through this text in a little bit different way. We're not going to work through it beginning to end. We're going to actually go backwards and start with thinking about what death is and what it means to fear death. We're doing this because we need the main message of the book of Hebrews which is that Jesus is better therefore persevere Jesus is better therefore hold fast to him in faith and persevere in the Christian life we need to know how we persevere in light of the face of death and that's what we're going to look at this morning so starting at the end of the passage like I said we're going to start by looking at the fear of death the verse 15 says at the second half that that Jesus came to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So that's the part of the verse I want to think about first. Those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. I want to start here because I think you might react to this like I do that, you know what, I'm not really all that afraid to die. I don't feel an overwhelming sense of fear of death, but I want to argue here that All of us experience the fear of death and all of us feel the fear of death, but it might not be in the way that you think. And that's what I want us to think about as we explore this text, that we all fear death. We are all potential and especially apart from Christ, we are all certainly slaves to the fear of death. When we look at the fear of death... We want to think of two different types of the fear of death. John Owen, in his commentary on Hebrews, talks about this, and it's so helpful for us and so true. There's different kinds of fear of death. There's different ways we fear death. He divides them into two. He says there's the natural fear of death, which I think is a helpful label. This is the fear of death that is instinctive in us. In other words, if you are drowning, you don't need to think about Death is a bad thing that I ought to avoid, and I want to try to swim and rescue myself however I can, right? You're just going to strive for breath, and you're going to try to keep swimming, and you're going to try to keep surviving, because we have that survival instinct within us. This is something we share with animals. Animals are afraid of death. They experience it in the seconds before they potentially die, when they're in extreme peril, and they respond by trying to survive, right? This is the natural fear of death. This is what we most often think of, I think, when we think of fear of death. I don't want to die, and so I'm going to do whatever I can to survive. But I think the fear of death that we are potentially in slavery to, that Hebrews is talking about, is deeper than that. It's the second kind of fear of death that Owen talks about. He calls it the penal fear of death, which is kind of an old word which means like consequence But I'm going to use the word moral fear of death because I think that's a little bit more helpful for us uh, updating Owen's language for our time. This moral fear of death is what comes to us from thinking about dying. It's distinct from animals because animals can't think about the fact that one day they will die. They don't have that kind of existential dread that someday I'm going to die, right? They just live in the moment. But we have the ability to think about the fact that we will die and thinking about that fact that we will die fills us with a moral fear of death. This is the kind of fear of death that's in mind in the book of Hebrews here. It looks like existential fears. Now, existential is a big word, but that just means dealing with your existence. Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is the point of life? When we face death, We're filled with those kind of questions. How does my life have meaning? What happens to me after death? What happens to my existence? The kind of fears we experience when we think about the reality of death are all gathered around a fear of what death does to us or says about us. So take, for example, our identity, who we are. The fact that you die, the fact that I die says something about us it says that we're not too important to die it says that we're not the actual hero of the story because we all know right in stories the hero never dies but guess what you're going to die which means you're not the main character which means you disappear which means do you really matter right we ask those questions what death tells us is that we are ultimately insignificant and when we deal with that fact that creates an existential dread or anxiety in our hearts like how do we find meaning if Really we're gonna die and we're gonna be forgotten. I read this morning in the news that desmond tutu died I think yesterday or today I know who he is And I know what he's done But guess what in a hundred years, maybe people remember him in 200 maybe in three starting to get shaky, right? Eventually he will be forgotten. That's what we saw in the book of Ecclesiastes as we explored death, right? There's no remembrance of the former things. Death says you are ultimately insignificant. Or th- take your purpose. Does what you do have any meaning? Does it matter? We saw from Ecclesiastes that there's nothing to be gained under the sun. The, the, the river flows into the ocean, but the ocean is never filled, right? What death says about you and I is that everything you do that you think matters ultimately won't matter. Ultimately won't make a difference to you when you're dead. And maybe it'll make a little bit of a wave and an impact while you're alive and shortly after your death. But eventually, any gain you thought you had will be erased. Or death says about us and our happiness that there's no lasting joy to be had. That we know that the future always holds disappointment. We know that everything fades and that everything we hope to find happiness in, even our families, will eventually be taken from us by death. Death tells us that there's no lasting joy to be had and there's no future hope. Death tells us that eventually the tomorrow that comes will be the tomorrow that you die. And so if you look far enough in the future, what you expect is eventually everything will be taken from you. And this steals our hope. All of these are existential fears, questions about our existence that death brings to the forefront and that we need some kind of answer to because these will drive us mad. And rightly so. Underneath all of these, though, tied into all of these, is this ultimate fear that Hebrews talks about, a fear of judgment. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 26, verse 26 to 31, the author of Hebrews writes this. He says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. Underneath all of these existential fears, all of these fears about what does death say about who I am and what my purpose is and where I can find happiness and hope for the future. Underneath all of those is a fearful expectation of judgment. It's a judgment, not just in the sense of hellfire and brimstone judgment, but it's a judgment that what death says about us is actually true. That maybe we really are insignificant. Maybe really nothing we do matters. Maybe we'll never find lasting joy because you know what? We don't deserve to. We fear that what death says is true. And we experience these psychological expressions of this fear of judgment. And all of these existential fears. The reality is that what we see from Hebrews chapter 2. At the end of verse 15 is that. All of those apart from Christ are in slavery to this fear of death. Lifelong slavery. Have no choice but to be afraid this way. To experience this moral fear of death that controls everything. You might not think, you might not wrestle with these questions as much. But I bet you it controls you. Or can control you just as easily as it can control me. Think about it this way. The moral fears of death that we have. These big questions. How does our life matter? What does it mean? We don't spend a lot of time thinking about those, do we? We spend a lot of time keeping those away from our minds. Because if we dwelt on those all the time, we'd be like the existential philosophers who went a little nuts. right? We, we, we would be driven mad. We wouldn't be able to function if we constantly thought about the fact that we're going to die and everything is going to be taken from us. So the, we keep those things Suppressed. Romans even says we suppress the truth, right? We keep those things suppressed and they operate on a subconscious level, informing what we do and how we act in ways we don't even realize. And then what happens is when we're confronted with the reality of death, all of those moral fears of death rise to the surface, all of those moral fears Around death confront us and I think that's what's happened in this covid crisis See, I think the thing that people are most afraid of is not actually dying from covid They may feel that way They may fear that in a sense But I I think the thing that we're most afraid of in this crisis is that we will be forced to confront All of the moral fears surrounding death that we haven't dealt with and we haven't thought about and we suppressed I think you can tell that by the reaction people are terrified terrified, and it's not just because of the threat of physical death. It's because we recognize that we have a fearful expectation of judgment apart from Christ, and we are right to be afraid of it. We recognize that this fearful expectation of judgment is the power that death holds over us, and it's this power that Satan welds to keep us in slavery. It's this power that I want to talk about next. Working our way back. So we've got subject to the fear of death. Slaves to the fear of death. And then in Hebrews 2 again. Jesus did these things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So I want to look at the power that the devil wields. And how he wields it to keep us in slavery. Okay? That's what I want to think about next. How does the devil use the power of death to enslave us? Think about the devil's goal for a sec. What is he trying to do? What does he live for? It's to destroy our faith. To dishonor God. To elevate himself. And ultimately his favorite way of doing that is leading us into idolatry. Leading us to turn away from the living hope. That we have in Christ Jesus. And leading us to turn towards anything else. The devil is happy. When we are idolaters. And what he does is he takes this power of death. The expectation that there will be judgment. And that we have to deal with these questions. Like who am I and why does things matter. And he takes that terrifying power. And he reminds us of it. And he stokes our fear. And he tries to terrify us. To cause us to run away from those things and to find any way to escape. Either by ignoring through distractions or by trying to find deliverance through a false hope. What what does this look like? Think about Israel for a second. I'm going to read. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read from Numbers 14. Listen to how Israel reacts when they hear this report of these fearful things from the promised land. Numbers 14 verses 1 through 4, then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader. And go back to Egypt. The the story continues. And and, and Joshua and Caleb. Two faithful men of God. try Try to stir God's people. God will give us the land. We only have to trust him. And guess what they do? They pick up rocks to stone them. They want to shut them up. Because they don't believe. And they are fearful. Slaves to the fear of death. And the devil is taking this fear that they have. And stoking it. To keep them from turning to Yahweh. I think what we see in here is that Israel was not actually fearful of physical death, right? They, they said, would that we had died in Egypt, would that we had died in the wilderness. It wasn't about the death part. It was about what death would say about them, that the judgment that would come was that death's words are true. What, what did they think death would say about them? That they had trusted in the wrong God. That they had been misled. That they had thought that they were being delivered, but they weren't actually. That God's promises weren't actually true. That their wandering through the wilderness had been for nothing. The real problem of Israel was not that they feared the physical death that would result from going into the land and being destroyed by these enemies. The problem for Israel was their unbelief in the promises of God. God says as much when he responds to them Saying to Moses in numbers 14 11, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them. Yeah I agree Lord. How long will they not do that? Like that, that should be our response as we read this. But Israel. Is experiencing the slavery to the fear of death. In a way similar to how we experience it. See what Satan does. How he takes this power of death. And leads us into slavery is he distracts us with fears in order to hide the true problem see that's that's one of the ways he does he distracts us with fears in order to hide the true problem so think about israel what they were afraid of is that their women and their children would be a prey for the people of the land in other words if we can't take our families in there it's not safe But the problem wasn't that. The problem was their unbelief, right? But Satan was distracting them with other fears. Now, they weren't necessarily wrong. It's dangerous in the land. But they were distracted. They were focused on the wrong fears. And Satan was happy to stoke that fear. And keep them from realizing what the true problem was. The true problem being unbelief and a lack of fear of the Lord. I think we can fall prey to this. I think we see it in our culture. Particularly in our responses to COVID. I think on the one hand, we see the fear of government overreach and we see the fear of the potential of tyranny, right? I think a real fear in light of COVID that there's too much hands in the power of a few and they are sinners just like us and it's not good. Okay, we have that fear. On the other hand, we have the fear of those who refuse to get vaccinated and we say, why won't they get vaccinated? They're going to fill our hospitals and there's not going to be any care for people, right? Which may happen. These not, There's not necessarily illegitimate fears. But what happens is Satan captures our hearts and our minds with these secondary fears to hide what the true problem is. That we all have a fearful expectation of judgment. That death actually says something about us that must be dealt with. So much more important than whether the U.S. stands or falls. So much more important than whether we all wear masks or not. These things consume us and consume our thoughts and our anxieties. And they take the place of our thinking about truly eternal things, right? Think about all the anxieties that are overwhelming us as a culture, whatever side of the spectrum, whatever you believe about our response as a society to COVID. Think about all the things that consume our thoughts and then ask how many of them are related to the fearful expectation of judgment, the eternal destiny of souls that matters Beyond anything else. I would say not many. I would say what does it matter. If we keep each other safe. And eke out a few more years of life. If we ultimately go to eternal damnation. Right. Or likewise what does it matter. If we keep our country functioning for a few more years. Keep it from collapsing. And preserve our liberties. If we still return to dust. Those things matter don't get me wrong i'm not saying they don't matter at all i'm saying they pale in comparison and satan is happy to make take the 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 fearful expectation of judgment cause us to flee from that and even thinking about that and cause us to be distracted by these secondary fears just like israel was this keeps us in slavery because it hides our chains it keeps us focused narrowly on only the present And that's dangerous. Satan doesn't just distract us with other fears, though. He's also happy to to redirect our loves. To redirect our hopes for the future. To fill us with false hopes that maybe this thing will save us. He's happy to do this and hide the true savior. Think about Israel. Their response. It's too dangerous to go into the promised land. So where do we turn? Let's go back to Israel or back to Egypt. Excuse me. Like that is so dumb. Let's go back to Egypt where we were slaves. At least there they fed us. I mean, are you serious? But Satan is happy to take this fearful expectation that if they go into the land and their, their only hope is Yahweh. And if he doesn't pull through, they have nothing left. And they're not willing to venture that because their unbelief. And so they turn to false gods for hope. They turn back to Egypt, their slave masters. Friends, I think there's many ways we do this in our culture today. I think one of them is how we are tempted to make an idol of our well-being. Well-being being kind of an umbrella term for our our physical safety or just kind of safety in general. Safety's become a catchword. But not only safety, but happiness. Right? Our safety and our happiness, we turn those into the end and we say, we say, I know that death is scary, but at least if I have my health, I'm good. I know that death is scary, but at least if I'm happy, I'm good. I know that death is scary, but at least if I have this well-being in my family, I'm good. At least if my children are okay. Right? And we turn those things into things that we will pursue at any cost. We turn them into idols and then we look to those idols for deliverance. We're tempted right now to look to the medical community, figure out some way to beat death again. Give me a few more days. We're tempted to look to public health to say, save us. What will we do? I think this is largely because our culture has rejected any belief in a transcendent God. And death is scary and you need something transcendent that transcends death to take care of it. We tend to look for deliverance and transcendent things. One writer, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but he wrote a book uh, in the 70s called The Denial of Death. And he argued that this longing for a transcendent savior is a symptom of the fear of death it's wanting someone to be able to have the power to stop what you fear and he argues convincingly that this is what led to the embrace of dictators like stalin and dictators like hitler guys that had the ultimate power that could deliver the people and led to great evil not only that, though, we're tempted in the, to take the idol of our well-being, our safety and our happiness, and think, you know what? The government's nuts. I don't want it in their hands. It must be in my hands. And we turn in on ourselves and we rely on ourselves and say, you know what, as long as I can make my own decisions for me, and I can use my, what's even sometimes a Gnostic knowledge or a secret knowledge, like I know the right thing to do. And I read this article online and it told me this. And we look and say, if I can make my own decision, then everything will be okay. We're still serving that idol of our well-being and saying, as long as everything is hunky-dory, I do not have to fear. Friends, it's still serving an idol. It's still pursuing a false savior. We see this in our own hearts. If we think about how often are our prayers solely consumed with physical health, happiness, well-being. Those aren't bad things to pray for. But if you look at the prayers of Paul, like those don't, they don't reflect that. Right? That's not what Paul prays for. He prays that the knowledge of God would fill our hearts and minds. That we would be steadfast. That we would remain committed to the gospel even in the midst of suffering. That our hope would remain centered on Christ. Satan fills us with these false hopes to hide this true savior. And it keeps us in slavery because it gives us new masters. It doesn't actually free us from the fear of death. Just gives us new idols to serve and gives us a false hope. Ultimately, what Satan is trying to do is he's trying to wield this power that you have a fearful expectation of judgment. He's trying to cause you to flee that and keep death on the throne of your heart. That's what Satan wants to do to keep death on the thrones of our hearts. And friends, if you're looking for rescue from the fear of death, if you're looking to eliminate all fear of death from your life, I have bad news for you. You can't that you will die. Your death is a hundred percent certain. And you know what? Death is scary. When I think about it, I'm scared. I don't want to die. I know I have a hope, but I don't want to die. If you're looking for that fear to be completely gone, it won't be. And if you're looking for these other fears, like what does death say about me? And how do I believe what I know to be true about Christ? If you're looking for freedom from the fears that death will steal your happiness or that death will erase your identity, I've got bad news for you too. These fears are 100% legit. Like, these are things to be afraid of. These are not things that we're told will be delivered from the fear of. We're told in Hebrews, what? That Jesus died to free us from slavery to these fears. If you're looking to be free from the slavery to these fears, so that you don't have to buy into what Satan tries to do in your heart, then I've got good news for you this morning that Jesus himself came in the flesh to disarm this power in the hands of Satan and to ultimately deliver you and I from this slavery. They're still scary. It's still scary. That's not, don't hear me, that, that it's no longer scary. We can react like that as Christians sometimes. But friends, you can be delivered from the slavery to this fear. And so I want to talk about here as we look at the next part of Hebrews. Hebrews 2, again says this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So the ESV says and translates it that that Christ came and did this. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And that is okay, but it doesn't really capture what's going on there. The the NASB, who who, Dan will like me quoting from the NASB, the New American Standard Bible says that Christ did this so that he might render powerless the one who holds the power of death. And that's a, that's a, a little bit better at capturing what's going on there, is that Christ came to render powerless or to disarm the devil so that he can't use this fear this fearful expectation of judgment to drive you away from God. That's what it means. Jesus came to disarm the devil so that he can't take this fearful expectation of judgment and use it to push you away from Jesus, to push you into unbelief, to cause you to abandon the faith. Not only that, but Christ delivers those who were in slavery, which means you no longer must act from the fear of death. Sometimes we still do. The reality is that we are still being sanctified. And we still do sometimes act as though we are slaves. But Christ has delivered us so that we no longer must. We we now have a choice. We now have, through faith, the ability to not act in slavery to the fear of death. Christ does this in many ways. I want to talk about a few. Just real quickly going through. First, he does this. Christ disarms Satan and delivers us. He does this by exposing our slavery, first of all. If we look at chapter 2, verse 17, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Christ had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He had to come in the incarnation. Why? Because we were slaves. The mere fact that Christ came exposes our slavery, prevents us from pretending like we're not really enslaved. Even that alone helps us live free from slavery to the fear of death because Satan is trying to hide those chains. Christ himself, though, exposes this slavery, but he doesn't do just just the exposing work. He does the actual breaking work, the actual freeing work. Christ disarms the devil and delivers us By breaking the chains of slavery. Hebrews 2.17 says that he had to do this in order to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Propitiation is another fancy word that that means to, to pay the penalty for. Jesus, in other words, came to meet the demands of that fearful expectation of judgment. That those who knew they were under the wrath of God because of sin, Jesus came to pay that penalty. And in that way, he triumphed over the one who would accuse us. Colossians talks about it this way. He he says that he took the record of debt that stood against us. And he nailed it to the cross. And by doing that, he triumphed over the rulers and authorities that would accuse us. He put them to shame. He disarmed them. Colossians says, by doing that, by his sacrifice on the cross, Jesus broke our chains. And this means that nothing, not even death, can accuse us. Nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. Paul writes about in Romans 8. Jesus exposed our slavery. He broke our chains. Not only that, though. Jesus himself disarms death and delivers us. By demonstrating that the words death speaks about us. That we fear aren't the final words about who we are in Christ. Jesus takes the words death speaks about our identity. That you are utterly insignificant. That you don't matter. That we're all red shirts in the end. He takes that statement about death. And he says, you know what? You're united with me. Your life is hid with me in God. When Christ, when I come back. You will appear with me in glory. He says that about us. And he says, you know what? Death cannot take that away. He takes this statement about death that nothing that we do matters. And he says, you know what? It's okay. I've finished the work. He says this on the cross, right? In John 19, it is finished. All of my work is done. And what does he call us to do? Not find purposeful and meaningful work. But he calls us to come and rest in that finished work and then work out of that so that, as Paul writes in Corinthians, nothing we do is in vain if it's done in the Lord. He takes the word death says about us that we can never have happiness and lasting joy. And what does he do? He secures for us an eternal inheritance kept in heaven for us like Peter writes about in First Peter. And a little bit later, he said Peter says that we are filled with joy at this knowledge. He gives us a happiness that death cannot steal, because he gives us an inheritance that death cannot steal. And then he takes all of our sad expectations for the future, all of our belief that we have no future because death will ultimately steal it. He said he takes our, our, our fear. That death will put us to shame. That will, death will show us that we really hoped in vain. And he justifies us. He gives us peace with God. And he fills us by his spirit with the hope that Paul says in Romans 5. Will never put us to shame. Amen. He takes all of these things that death says about us and says no. That is not true. That is not the final word. Here is my final word. Jesus disarms death and delivers us from slavery that way. Not only that, though, there's more. He disarms death by demonstrating that death does not have final dominion. I love what Paul says in Acts, or Peter, excuse me, in Acts when he's preaching in Acts 2. And he says, Jesus was raised and the pangs of death were loosed from him. Why? Because it was not possible for him to be held by them. Jesus was raised because he could not be kept in the grave. And that shows that death does not have the power over Christ. That Christ has the power over death. And that gives us assurance that as he is risen with him, we will rise. He disarms the power of death in the hands of Satan. And he delivers us through all these ways. And he does so even more by assuring us of his presence, even in death. See, the incarnation was Jesus coming to dwell with his people. And he assures us that he has not abandoned us. But that he is Emmanuel, God with us. Who continues to walk with us. Even like we saw earlier this year in Psalm 23. Even in the valley of the shadow of death. He is with us. He assures us that though we will pass through death. His presence will be there with us. And so we need not fear. All of these things culminate to free us from slavery to the fear of death and to assure us that Satan has been disarmed and can no longer use that fear to drive you away from Christ. Matt McCullough, in his book Remember Death, puts it this way He says, Remembering death helps us stop trying to protect what we can't protect. And remembering Christ. Helps us stop trying to protect what we don't need to protect. Amen. Freedom from fear comes only when we see that what matters most in our future isn't ambiguous at all. There is no reason to remain enslaved. Amen. That's what Christ does, friends. That's what he does. And guess how he does it? This is why we're talking about this on Christmas. Guess how he does it? By taking on flesh. By the incarnation this is why the incarnation matters so much. The fact that Jesus, the eternal word of God, took on flesh and dwelt among us matters so much. Not because he wasn't king and needed to establish himself as king. That's what people thought when he came. Like, we're going to make him king by force. What does he do? He disappears on him. He runs away from him and won't let him make him king by force. Because you know what? He's already king of kings and lord of lords. Psalm 2 says he's, God has already set his king on Zion, his holy hill. He came not because he needed more glory because when he prays in John 17 that the father would glorify him. What does he say? Glorify me with the glory I had with you. Already. He comes for one reason. To take on flesh that he might taste death. Right? Hebrews 2 says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself Likewise, partook of the same things, became flesh and blood. Why? That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. How does he do all these things? Through death. How could he die? Only by taking on flesh, only by becoming like us, could he die. This means that in the incarnation, Christ chose suffering and death. That death wasn't something that was accidental to the incarnation or kind of added later like, oops, I guess it didn't work out and now Jesus has got to die. Jesus came knowing he would die. The incarnation was not safe for Jesus. It was on the path to death. It was in order that he may die so that he could disarm the power of death and so that he could free us who were held in slavery to it. Right, Hebrews 2.9 nine. Says. That this is by the grace of God. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels took on flesh. Jesus incarnate. Namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God. He might taste death for everyone. By the grace of God he might free you and I from the slavery to fear of death. So friends out of this. I want to leave us with two brief challenges this morning. There's more that we could say. There's more that we could think about. There's more implications for this. But as we go into this new year, I want us to think in two ways about this. The first is that I want us to consider the world in light of its true problem. The world is in slavery to the fear of death. All who are apart from Christ have no option but to be in slavery to the fear of death. When I read about Israel at the edge of the promised land in numbers, I'm frustrated with them. Yes, but I'm also a little bit sympathetic. It could have been me. It was me apart from Christ. I would have reacted the same way in their shoes. Even after seeing the same things people enslaved to the fear of death cannot act otherwise. And so friends, we ought to be compassionate when the world acts In slavery to the fear of death, we ought to hold out the hope of deliverance from that slavery. And not act with frustration and double down on our own fears and anxieties. If you are still outside of Christ, then you are still also in slavery to the fear of death. And my heart goes out to you because you have no choice but to be in that slavery until you cry out to Christ for deliverance someone very dear to me who does not know Christ tries to grapple with the meaning of life and with these existential questions and all he can come up with is that the purpose of life is to continue to continue to exist. Guess what? Death has something to say about that. You can't continue to exist, but if you are apart from Christ, your only hope is to continue to exist. Because all you have to expect. Is a fearful expectation of judgment. But friends. There is hope to be found. And I want you and I. To hold out that hope. So consider the world. In light of the true problem. That there is a fearful expectation of judgment. There is slavery to sin and death. There is slavery to that fear of death. And then I want you and I. Those who know Christ. And have been freed. To love one another in light of our true savior. See Jesus came, entered the incarnation which wasn't safe, in order to die so that his brothers and sisters might be freed from slavery. To follow Christ then means that we ought to have that same impulse, to enter into physical pain and suffering, to enter into places where it's not safe, to entrust ourselves to Christ. And live sacrificially in love of our neighbor. Galatians says we are free. But we ought to use that freedom. To serve one another. So friends as people who have been set free. By our savior. Let's use that freedom to serve one another. Let's use that freedom to love one another. Dearly. As Christ has loved us. John Owen. Says on this text. And concludes this way. He says the Lord Christ. Out of his inexpressible love. Willingly submitted himself unto every condition of the children to be saved by him. And to everything and every condition of them only sin accepted. How then ought we to be contented with the difficulties, sorrows, afflictions, and persecutions. Which for his sake we are or may be exposed unto. When he on purpose took our nature. That for our sakes he might be exposed and subject unto much more than we are called unto. In other words, because Jesus did this for us, we ought to do it in obedience to Christ and in love for our neighbor. This is the banner that we're given to hold up in the face of death, that our Savior has disarmed it and freed us. And this is the banner that we rally the world around to and say, come, enjoy this freedom. Enjoy the freedom to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, let's pray now and thank God for this precious gift. Father, thank you that you have indeed in Christ Jesus delivered us. We could not do it ourselves. You did what we could not do. And it is all of grace. And we praise you as the God of grace. It is true that Christ Jesus came into the world to free us from this slavery, to save sinners like us. Thank you, God. Help us to walk in that freedom and to love one another. We pray that you would help us to take up our cross daily and follow King Jesus, resting assured that our future is secure in him. Would you help us, we pray. Amen.